This podcast is a production of the Berkshire Argus. Important stories, fully told. Hi, everyone. This is Bill Shine from the Berkshire Argus. With available and affordable housing remaining a top regional and national issue, last week I had a wide-ranging conversation with Patrick White, a member of the Stockbridge Board of Selectmen. White was recently elected overwhelmingly to his second three-year term on the board, where he has made housing proposals central. More than half of the homes in Stockbridge are owned by part-time and seasonal residents, contributing to both escalating prices and limited housing supply for working families. The challenges are similar to those faced by neighboring communities like Great Barrington, where high prices have impacted the ability of businesses to attract and retain the service industry workers who power the region's tourism-based economy. In Stockbridge, White says that's led to a declining number of students in local schools, dwindling volunteers for the fire department and other municipal roles, and concern about maintaining what he describes as a well-rounded community. In his first term, with an eye on both lower-income seniors and local workforce needs, White advanced a proposal to cut real estate taxes for full-time homeowners, sparking a heated debate over both the idea's fairness and efficacy and whether it was divisive. Called a residential tax exemption, it allows a community to exempt anywhere from 10% to 35% of a property's assessed value from real estate taxation if the owner is present for at least 183 days a year. It's been adopted by 16 Massachusetts communities since the legislature authorized it in 1979. They include housing-challenged resort communities like Nantucket and several Cape Cod towns, but none in western Massachusetts. The proposal didn't advance. My conversation with White took place on July 13th, a few days before Stockbridge held the first of two planned community meetings about its changing demographics and its housing needs. We spoke at length about the impact of housing affordability challenges and his vision for a thoughtful, collaborative, inclusive, and productive discussion about the policy ideas he thinks can help Stockbridge move forward. Talk a little bit about uh, you know, your background, how you came to, uh, uh, to serve on the select board, you know, what inspired you to, uh, to, to want to do that, uh, and then uh, you know, how that background informs uh, the, the issues that you're focused on. Sure. Uh, first of all, my name is Patrick White. I, I uh, have just started my second term on the Stockbridge Select Board. Um, that's a board that goes back uh, nearly 300 years. The first board uh, included uh, such luminaries as Concapot and Umpachin, and it's quite an honor to, uh, to uh, be part of that long tradition. Um, I, uh, I uh, uh, born and raised here. Um, had the pleasure of graduating from uh, Monument Mountain Ancient Times in 1980, and um, and I spent a number of years uh, following my career in Boston. And uh, and when I moved back, uh, you know, there's so much to love about the Berkshires. Uh, there's just so much that's fantastic here. And one of the things that makes this community fantastic, in my mind, is this wonderful mix of folks that that we've had going back centuries. Really, we've got you know, the Gilded Age and all the folks who, you know, the countless folks who supported the Gilded Age. We've got, um, we've got uh, the Tangoid era and all of the folks 
the, not only just the musicians, but you know the restaurateurs and the employees and the and the and the landscapers and the tradesmen and the teachers and the police and the firemen, all the people that support this community. And and I and I and my my gut perception told me, and uh, and I still believe it that that we got to make sure that well-rounded community is maintained here because everything depends on that. And and so I've been really focused on on the challenges of uh, affordability, small a, you know, really what it what it takes to, you know, to live and uh, and work and and support this wonderful area that we're in. And, um, you know, uh, my my dad moved in, moved to the Berkshires in 1957, fresh out of the army to work at General Electric and didn't go to college. And by 1960, just three years later, he was able to buy a house. I, my house is across from Tanglewood on Hawthorne Street in uh, Stockbridge, and uh, and I don't. I'm not sure that those opportunities are. Well, I am quite sure that that it's more difficult to find those opportunities today. Uh, you see articles about how expensive it is to rent, let alone buy a home, um, and and all the other areas that of of tremendous expense for families. And I and I just feel like we need to do a little better, maybe a lot better on, on ensuring that that sort of mix of a well-rounded community can be, can be, uh, can be sustained, you know, uh, I'll just add one other point, which is, um, you know, uh, in many ways, the Cape is a bellwether for the future of the Berkshires. A lot of the issues they deal with in the Cape are 20 years ago or similar issues, issues we have today. And, 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 and I encourage people to, Look at what's happening in communities like Provincetown, like Wellfleet, like Nantucket, um, where, you know, they don't allow camping on Nantucket. And yet the fact is that they have no housing for their seasonal workers. So what they allow them to do is they allow them to basically take over a field on the inner part of the island and put up tents and porta potties so that workers have a place to live all summer. Okay, I think that's an extreme example. But that's not, if we fast forward 20 years, the example I want for the Berkshires. I think we have time to, uh, to figure this out. And I think we should take the time and do it right and have those debates and do, it in, do them in good faith, but understand that this is something that, that, that we need to address. So yeah, let's let's actually jump right into you know the the approach that is being taken out on the Cape and Nantucket. You know, how would you measure their uh, you know their uh, their strategies and the action that they've taken uh, to address their current and you know and future challenges? And you know, is there are there lessons specific lessons there for us other than the uh, you know the warning of uh, that you've described of uh, uh, you know having workers camping out? Well, I think one of the lessons is is that you can't expect families to not act in their economic interest. You can't expect it. So in Nantucket, a weekly rental can go for as high as $35,000, all right? In the Berkshires, in my house, I, as I mentioned, my house is across from Tanglewood, and a local broker stopped by my house uh, right before the pandemic and knocked on my door and said, through the screen, hey, I can get you 13,000 bucks a month if you want to rent this month to month for June, July, and August, you know? And I said, well, you know, I wasn't that interested, but I said, come in, we'll have a cup of coffee. So he comes in and he looks at this kitchen my parents designed in the 1970s. He said, all right, maybe 9,500. Um, and uh, 
but the point I'm making is that, you know, that for some folks, that's the only way they're going to be able to keep their house. You can't expect people to necessarily rent their house for 1200 bucks a month when they can get $13,000 a month in a month to month rental. That's not the job of the individual to make that kind of sacrifice. So we're going to have to figure out policies that, that allow us to do that. Now you mentioned Nantucket, you know, when it's 35,000 bucks a week, of course, that's why there's no, you know, I'm not talking about even affordable housing, which at least the government subsidizes. So maybe there's some of that. There may not be a whole lot of workforce housing for the simple fact that like the, the economic alignment is so far skewed at this point that, you know, that what would you expect people to do who own those properties, you know? And, and I think that it really, we got to kind of bear in mind, you know, I think as you look at it locally, I read a proposal about, um, about, uh, uh, the one or 2%, um, uh, you know, transfer tax in Great Barrington. Now there's aspects of that that's really interesting to me, but there's also aspects that I think uh, some of the critics found problematic. And, you know, you know, so, you know, on one side, you know, somebody who's owned their house for 30 or 40 years and they're paying the broker five or 6% and, you know, and, uh, you know, and everything else, you know, those folks don't necessarily want to pay a one or 2%. On the other hand, I think that if you look at capital gains taxes and the difference between short-term capital gains and long-term capital gains, and you were to take something and say, you know, if you've held your house for less than 10 years and, and, and you only look at the gain rather than the base price in a market that's seen tremendous, even obscene profits, especially for some of the, the sales prices of high-end homes, that might be a compromise, for example, the, where, where a transfer tax would make sense. Focus on not just the amount of the sale, but the amount of the gain and, and focus on the, the length of term of ownership and not just on whether someone is selling their, you know, their 60-acre farm for $1.2 so therefore they qualify. You know, I think that there's ways that we we can, you know, and in defense of Lee Davis, I give Lee Davis credit for brainstorming on solutions, to how we solve this problem. And rather than jumping all over her, what we should be doing is saying, well, is there a way to refine the idea? For example, taking more of a capital gains approach and a, and a, and a, and a, and a tax on the upside, rather than just basically taking a face value, face, face value evaluation of the idea and 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 saying I'm for it or against it. We need to have nuance and we need to have people who are willing to have discuss the problem. They should not be silenced. They should not be um, in any way given disincentives to be part of this conversation. You had an experience uh, trying to advance some ideas in Stockbridge that were more seen as controversial. Uh, on, uh, uh, you know, what do you take away from uh, from that experience in the you know, in this environment, politically and otherwise, where people do react quickly, you know, nuance uh, is you know, one of my favorite words, uh, and you know, certainly something that is often lacking in the public discourse uh, around these ideas. You know, what what have you learned in in your time on the select board? You know, as you've worked on these issues, what, what can help to advance those uh, those kinds of conversations to, to to be more thoughtful and productive? Look, um, government has to work for everybody. And government has to be open to hearing from everyone, even your critics. All right. And one of the reasons why I strongly supported Zoom, look at some of the folks who were critics of mine last year were in the seasonal residential community. And yet I nevertheless was a full throat advocate for Zoom and every every meeting now, 
Every public meeting held in Stockbridge is now held on Zoom. And the reason I advocate for that is because half the homeowners in Stockbridge are seasonal residents. If you want them to participate, you better have Zoom. So, you know, I have absolutely no um, no qualms, no issues with the discussion. My takeaways are that sometimes sometimes folks will in in will will um will jump to motive as we discuss ideas. And uh and and I think that the, that 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 was something I didn't anticipate. You know, I, I'm kind of um you know in my regular job I'm the chief financial officer of a local nonprofit. I was trained as an economist. Um, I'm kind of like a, the best idea wins kind of, you know, approach to things. And I didn't really anticipate how personal the issue would be for some folks. And that's on me. You know, I think that uh, I think the fact is that um, that uh, that there was a visceral reaction to the whole RTE thing that I hadn't anticipated. And that's not to say that uh, there's no judgment in that. That's not saying I was right and they were wrong or they were right and I was wrong. It was just something I didn't think through, I guess. And, 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 um, you know, I, 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 uh, I, 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 you know, there was a, there was a, there was a study, uh, I think it was, a uh, the, I think it, it, it the, the, uh, researcher's name was Tybot. Um, in 1956, and he was the first researcher to show that people vote with their feet. So in other words, they will use things like taxes and quality of the schools to determine where they're going to raise their family. All right. So I look at a study like this Tybot study and I say, you know, boy, on uh, something like the residential exemption, if we could lower the, the taxes on our bottom quartile of homes to next to nothing, Maybe that helps us compete with Columbia County or Albany County or, uh, you know, if that's a county, I don't even know, um, or or some other folks for residents, because we got a problem here in my mind where we don't have enough intergenerational residents. That's not about that's not, that's basically saying, oh, can we can we, you know, kind of use a little economic engineering and say if people are going to basically look at the tax rate on some of the because most of the benefit accrues to the, the homes at the at the lowest prices. That that to me is maybe not a bad policy choice, but boy, as a political choice, it was kind of um, it was like running into a freight train, and and so you know what I guess I would just encourage you know I got reelected uh, recently, I haven't brought up the RT and I haven't done it on purpose, and what I would just encourage folks, everybody, to do is to give each other a break and understand that like as we talk about what some of these ideas are, you know there's there's a dozen ways we can impact the housing crisis. You know, low low taxes on on relatively inexpensive homes in town is just one of them. Um, I, I think we should have this conversation, and I think we should do it without rancor and without judgment, and certainly without um, without uh, imputing some kind of nefarious motive. These are because if that happens, people people don't want to be called names. They don't want to be um they don't want to be vilified or you know or 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 polarized. They won't. The, most people. Most people don't want to be part of, of, you know, kind of conversations that end up, you know, kind of vituperative or whatever the, whatever the term is in nature. Let's, let's just kind of keep a level head and, and have these conversations. That, that's at least, I, that's the lesson I learned from it. I don't know if that helps. Uh, yeah, very much so. Um, so let's talk about some of the specifics of the, uh, you know, the demographics of Stockbridge, which you've talked about quite a lot. 
um, and the the shift both in in you know housing, uh, you know more being owned by uh, part-time and seasonal residents, uh, the decline in the number of uh, families with students in the schools, uh, and um, you know from what I've learned about you, that's those are the the challenges that are driving your policy ideas. Um, so why don't you describe a little bit about that uh, those demographic uh, 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 those demographic trends? I want to be careful that we don't tie those two two ideas together. All right, I, I'm like, um, in other words, seasonal versus like some of the challenges that locals face. Because I don't want to ever apply imply that seasonal homeowners don't do their fair share. Because we live in a town that's well over half seasonal homeowners, and those homeowners pay far more than half the local property taxes, okay? As somebody who is immersed in our town budget, I will tell you this, that when you look at a community that is paying 70 or 80% of the taxes that, of this town, and this is a town with one of the lowest tax rates in the county uh, because of the wealth of, of the equalized values, which is a term which you might know from the, from the school committee work, the school merger work, um, this, our second home merger community is already stepping up. And don't let anybody argue that that's not the case. And they're not just stepping up by paying their share of the taxes. They step up by being tremendously generous, not only with, 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 with financial resources, but with their time. You know, you got, you got folks like Matt Mandel who follow, who founded Volunteers in Medicine. You've got, you've got, you've got uh, folks like, uh, like Richard Copeland who volunteers to repair, um, to repair police officers' eye injuries when they're hurt in the line of duties. These people live in Stockbridge. These people start off as second homeowners. A lot of great people start off as second homeowners and become primary homeowners. So let's not tie the societal challenges we have to in any way, any, any way of kind of blaming one group or blaming another group. All right. What we got to do is we got to figure out as a team how we address some of these issues because a lot of things go south. If the mix of ownership, if there's not a mix of all different types in a given community, all right. For example, you know we're looking at we're looking at um if you know we're we're talking about possibly merging our our our, uh, our fire department with Lee, you know, and Lee is a uh, Lee is about eight percent seasonal residents, you know, so so it's a little bit more of a full time community than ours. But I'll tell you, that's like a you know when when uh. When uh, our our assistant fire our I think it's a, that's his title when when our assistant fire chief joined the force in 1978 we had something like 90 volunteers and we have less than 10 active volunteers now in the Stockbridge Fire Department that's not any way a criticism of the awesome guys who respond to emergencies here it's just that we've got people age out you can't get insurance for people uh, unless you buy special insurance and then you can only get up to 70. Normally, you can't get it after 65. These guys want to continue to serve. There's no legal way to do it, you know? And, and so, you know, you look at um, you look at what it takes. One of the crises that, 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 uh, that if, when you talk to our town administrator, Michael Canales, he talks about is the crisis around municipal employees going, looking ahead five or 10 years. You know, you, we, don't, we don't know. There's not enough assessors. There's not enough town administrators or town managers. There's not enough folks who, uh, who can be, who can play a roles of town accountant or town treasurers or all the other highway department employees, police, fire, you know, our communities fall apart 
if we don't have a way for municipal employees to live and work in out either in which I prefer or at least in close proximity proximity to the to the communities they serve these issues like you said bill are all interrelated and we got to have serious people who are going to talk about how we solve these things cuz we still have time we don't have people camping out in the field in the middle of an island uh serving these communities we still have time to figure this out and i'm absolutely optimistic we can so you know, let's talk about some of the ideas that are that are in the mix or that you think should be in the mix. So you know, Stockbridge was uh, one of the communities that passed uh, you know, some kind of short-term rental bylaw, um, fairly limited. Um, so I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, how that came about, that conversation. I know you had supported something more substantial, um, but also uh, beyond uh, short-term rentals. You know, in, in addressing uh, what you're describing demographically, how to preserve. Uh, or make, you know, create that mix of people that you need. Um, you know, which, which ideas hold out the most, uh, the most promise and what reforms to existing policies do you think are needed? I'm gonna start off with something a little bit trite. I'm kind of a life liberty in the pure pursuit of happiness. And by that, I mean, you know, let's start with the third happiness, all right? There's, in, in many communities around the world, communities have been degraded by short-term rentals. It's just a fact. And we're, we're you know, I, I live, I'm literally looking out my window at the, uh, at the Hawthorne Gate of Tanglewood. All right. I know we got a lot of visitors who want to come here. And I know that, uh, that uh, if you look at the, you know, homes are valued, valued in two assets. Homes as assets are valued in two ways. One is what the market will bear. And the other is what is the, the, what is the, the, uh, the net present value of the cash flow. If you amortize the cash flow, if you basically project the cash flow in a given year, that will provide a separate valuation for what a home is. All right. So a home like mine that my dad bought for, I don't know, $10,000 in 1960 is worth a whole lot more if there's two rentals on it than if there's one rental. All right. So you look at the net, you look at the cash flow based valuation of that house and one surefire way to blow up the housing market in the missing middle is, can you hear me just to confirm? Yes. Yeah. All right. Cause I'm not seeing my visual. Um, one of the surefire ways to blow up the housing market is to have people run the numbers and figure out, well, not only can I rent the main house, I can rent out a short-term rental next to it. All right. And that's the challenge. Now, the flip side of that is this, if you're, if you're um if you live in Stockbridge, and you want to buy a seven hundred thousand dollar home, it re it requires approximately two hundred thousand dollars in in annual income to get a mortgage. All right, but if you have a second, if you have as part of your owner occupied property, if there's a rental as part of that property, maybe it's a month to month like the like the folks who rent for Tanglewood, or maybe it's a short term rental. If you put a rental as part of that home. All of a sudden, because the bank will consider the rental income in evaluating the income requirement, you can push the income required, you know, the, uh, the annual income of the homeowner down to $60,000 a year. So you can take it from $200,000 to $60,000. All of a sudden, when you're in the $60,000 range, you're opening up homeownership to young families, to, to, uh, to all of the folks in, in, uh, in, 
in those municipalities and work for the municipalities to the folks who you know are landscapers and who are small business owners and who maybe don't make you know a buck fifty or two hundred thousand a year but who make sixty or seventy or eighty thousand a year and who are block who are who are out of this market now so thinking about so now 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 when you look at the politics of that if you when you propose that there are some folks who are going to say you want to discriminate against second homeowners by only allowing a rental to be part of owner occupied. You're discriminating against us. And and honestly, I don't know how to exactly respond to that, because on the face of it, if we want to have a well-rounded community, you know, you would want to say, you know, the purpose of maybe having the second home is the happiness part. You want to come here and enjoy the Berkshires. You don't necessarily want to be surrounded where nine out of ten homes are, are short term rentals. But maybe there's a place for short-term rentals in terms of the affordability so more people can enjoy owning a primary home. And, and I don't say that at all with any, 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 any malice, any malice whatsoever toward any one community. I'm just saying, how do we, it's in everyone's interest that, you know, you, you try to get a plumber around here, you try to get an electrician, you try to get... Like, you know, you know, try to recruit some. We've been opening in the police force for a year and we paid more than anybody else in the county. All right. We got to figure out how we how we make our communities accessible to to what and what makes a well-rounded community. And I'll tell you another thing, you know, um, this is a dry run because. Uh, when we know, say dry run. Um, it's funny. Everyone thinks Tanglewood is in Lenox. Most of the Tanglewood properties in Stockbridge. Everyone thinks Monument Mountain is in Great Barrington. Half of Monument Mountain is in Stockbridge. All right, and the half that's in Stockbridge, you know, if I were a betting man, I'd say it's a it's a it's a ten to one that the half that's in Stockbridge is about to be bought by the Stockbridge Muncie Band of Mohicans, and that Band of Mohicans left in sorrow in 1809, and they're going to buy that property and they're coming back. Some of them, I think, would imagine may even live on that property and work the land. And I want to, I want to not be having fights between various groups, wondering like, what's in it for me, and why are you, what are you approaching this? Because that, that, because I, I have no idea what that means, other than I'm going to welcome them and I'm going to say thank you. I'm glad you're back. And I'm going to, and and sometimes people ask me, are, are you know, what's their plan? Do they think are they going to live there? Are they not going to live there? And I say I have no idea. And you know what? I'm okay with that because I trust that that community can be part of this community and can add to that community. And now all of a sudden we've got, you know, we're going to be, we're going to be right in the center of what is a centuries long reconciliation process with that. And I want to make sure that, that everybody feels welcome in this community and that we understand that, that, we got to be able to talk about the larger challenges and issues we have as a community. We got to make sure everyone's in that conversation, and and we got to do it without rancor. And uh, and 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 I'm going to at least try to do that. Uh, that I don't know. I can't speak for anyone else. I think there's a much larger question, which is, you know, we can't let. Yeah, you know, we just got to have a community that can have a conversation. You know, and uh, and uh, you know, it's like, uh, uh, you know, uh. uh yeah, I think I think that uh, I think that sometimes, you know, I saw I saw some of the reaction to you know the some of the Great Barrington affordable housing proposals. Well, those aren't locals or those aren't people who live here. They become locals, you know. 
you know, uh, maybe in 1960, my dad wasn't a local and some people didn't like he moved here, but he certainly became one. I, I think we got to kind of make sure that we we keep the con- we, we keep the conversation welcoming. And uh, and I think that, uh, you know, housing, I think that that, that certainly, you know, I, my ears definitely, you know, you know, uh, uh, got my attention when when with a two family or with an ADU, we can bring you know, the, the income requirement to buy a home here from almost 200 down to 60, that got my attention. That's a conversation I think we could have. And that is a scale of, that could help people at a scale of um, assistance that far dwarfs the RTE. You know, if I was a negotiating man, if somebody wanted to kind of, you know, if we were going to, uh, if we're going to, uh, uh, you know, uh, talk about what people's priorities are, I think that, 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 uh, that there's a lot of ways we can, we can address this. Some of it's got to be to build more affordable housing because some people, some people work wonderful. A teacher's aide makes thirty-five thousand dollars. An EMT makes forty-three thousand uh, dollars. Those people, if they're single or not two working folks in a household, may still not be able to afford a home. And looking at ways to create affordability, including subsidized housing for those folks, is just as important to me as the missing middle part. But I don't think these are either work conversations. I think these are conversations that have to have, you know, uh, that we need to evaluate every single thing we can. Now, I'll tell you one other thing. That's why this regional high school merger is so important. You know, uh, uh, one of my colleagues, you know, didn't have time to serve on the on the regional school committee planning board just a couple of years ago. And I was the new guy. And they said, here, Patrick, why don't you do it? You want, do you ever, will you do it? I said, sure. And so, you know, I got, I got assigned to this and I knew not almost nothing about, you know, uh, about regional schools, you know, it was, it hadn't been my focus, but pretty early on, somebody, somebody pointed out one, I think it was Jake Eberwine, Eberwine pointed out 50% of the kids in South County, all of South County, either don't go to, or don't finish college. And part of this proposal brings vocational to South County similar to what Taconic has and similar to what McCann has. And you want good jobs for that'll keep people here and cause and, and, and reduce the flight of folks to other, other areas of the country where perhaps they're going for economic reasons. You get them trained uh, in, uh, in plumbing and electricity and, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, carpentry and all the other trades because those are good jobs. I have a lot of friends who make way more money than I do that I went to high school with who uh, now own a business in the trades. Okay. These are good career paths. And one of the things we got to do is we got to make sure that those career paths are there. And that's why, you know, uh, um, with all due respect to some of the opponents of this who, you know, uh, who um, I heard one person say they bleed blue and gold, which I believe are the colors of one of the high schools. Um, You know, we're talking about our kids' futures here, and nobody's going to remember that the, the Mining Mountain Spartans were maroon and yellow or maroon and white or whatever it is. That's what they were back when I was there 40 years ago. I don't know even know if they still are. No one's going to remember that they were called the Spartans if they're in the class of 2030. What they're going to remember is that they got a job and a great career that kept them in Great Barrington or Sheffield or Alford or Stockbridge. And they have that thanks to the good work of the people who are working on it. And and I hope people take a long view at that merger because all of these topics are related. On the uh, the ADU model, um, which is those are some pretty uh, you know compelling figures to reduce the uh, you know the income requirement with a you know a, a cash producing uh, property. 
Um, you know, Great Barrington has uh, had some challenges in um, uh, in getting folks to take advantage of the their bylaw that permits ADUs, uh, and there's been discussion about some of the costs of uh, actually creating one. Um, so they've been experimenting with uh, some pilot programs on tiny houses and um, you know grants and other things to provide to the infrastructure to build you know, to put a, a second unit. Um, what kind of conversation have you had in Stockbridge around that? And what, what do you think would help to, uh, to, to add those kinds of units uh, that you're talking about? Well, look, at, I, I go back to, you know, and this is going to be the, the hard part of this conversation is going to be, do you just open it up to any property owner or is there an owner occupancy requirement? Um, and 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 I I understand that argument, but uh, but we can't. We can't have policies that will make the a housing affordability issue worse, not better. You know, and and uh, and and I and I and I think uh, so. Right now, we've we've started to have conversations around ADUs. Um, my position is going to be that it has to be tied to owner occupancy uh, because the 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 goal of that bylaw for me is to address the skewed market in terms of affordability that we have here. And some folks aren't going to like that. And I've been literally the word discrimination has been used and far worse, frankly, uh, to, um, to describe, um, you know, my motivation in having that position. And, and I, and I, I apologize to anyone who feels that way, but I will say this, that, uh, that, that, that I believe in the dream of home ownership and, and in all likelihood, I will bring a a uh, a a zoning proposal to town meeting, and if it doesn't include an owner occupancy requirement, I will bring my version of a zoning requirement to town uh, zoning proposal to town meeting. Because I think that at at some point, the market doesn't need any help. Over half the properties in South County are being bought with cash. The market doesn't need any help. People have seen tremendous, tremendous. Um, you know, uh, uh, appreciation of their home values. And that's good for locals. That's good for second home. It's good for all of us, right? Uh, it's just not good for the young family that wants to raise a family here, you know? And, uh, and, and, and so, you know, looking at some of these ideas, we got to say, we got to evaluate, do we just want to letting the market only determine the course of housing above affordable housing is as much doing nothing is as much doing something as as something more proactive. You can't you can't say that just leaving it up to the market isn't a decision in and of itself. And and I think that we've got to recognize that the market has been brutal in places like Provincetown and Nantucket. And and you're not going to change the course of the market. But what you can do is you can ameliorate its effects by having reasonable proposals that keep our communities well rounded. And not everyone's going to like that position. So you know, let's talk a little bit more about that, that ADU proposal. You know, the, what I was raising was the the challenge. You know, once those things are permitted, um, you know, and under your model where it's on properties of you know, owner occupants, um, but the the financial challenge to actually fund the construction of something like that, you know, or to uh, you know make whatever renovations are required for for an ADU. So just in terms of the logistics, the costs and logistics of moving that, you know, $700,000 property uh, or half a million dollar property, the income requirements to acquire that home, um, you know, it needs to have that that second unit to bring that down, as you said, to six. Look, you can buy, you can, you can buy a prefab tiny house for 
you know, even with the sewer hookups, it was maybe a hundred for the house and 40,000 if you had to expand your septic field or 20, 10, 20,000 if you're on, if you're on sewer, um, folks need to recognize that, that the stream of revenue will count by the bank toward the finance of that unit. Now, the question of whether people want to basically be in the hotel business or be in the rental, you know, in some ways, uh, you know, uh, 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 you know, we've got we've got strong uh, pro tenant laws in this in the state, and that's a good thing by and large. But for somebody who's not an experienced landlord, that may provide some risks, and so there may be some issues there. That actually might be an argument for why folks might want to focus more in the short term rental market if they were to add that rental unit. I don't know, um, but but I think that the first thing is I'm I'm not sure that most people look at. I've been immersed in this stuff for three four years, and I didn't know until our consultant pointed out a month ago. That the bank would uh, the bank would count that revenue stream of the rental toward the mortgage. I think people need a good financial planner. They need to think through like how much can they realistically get if they average it out over every month. And I think that they'll see that they can they can um, they can uh, uh, they can actually afford it a little easier than they realize. I also think, Bill, if you pulled the you know, a couple of dozen people in Lennox, since Lennox did the ADU bylaw, have actually built them. You know, they, they same thing in Great Barrington. In Pittsfield, there's people who file for ADUs. And if you want to do a deep dive, interview five or 10 of them. Because I, I, I walk up a Bullard Woods, which is kind of like the the uh, the Berkshire County dog park. <laughs> you know, uh, Gold Meadows and Bullard Woods, a lot of people bring their dogs there. It's kind of known for that. And I have met at least three or four young couples who have been able to buy homes because they do, they've done an ADU and they've rented them. And and those folks, the stories, those folks need to be told because, you know, sometimes it's like, it's like the most entrepreneurial types, they start the trend and they're the kind of early adopters. But I think you'll see a wise, more widespread adoption as people see a path here, especially because there's no rental stock uh, and rental and rentals have gotten so expensive. You know, we got to get the word out. Let's talk about you know other ideas. Um, you know, so uh, looking at other uh, uh, tourism and sort of uh, uh, second home heavy communities, you know, like Nantucket, uh, like Vail, Colorado. Um, you know, there's a idea that they pioneered in Vail, where the community or you know the, the municipality purchases deed restrictions uh, on houses to. Um, uh, to deed restrict properties to people who uh, work in the uh, in the actually in, in this case in the county that Vale is in for uh, you know at least an average of 30 hours a week, and they purchase those deed restrictions at sometimes you know 15 or 20 percent of the value of the property. So the, the guy who runs housing out there has said we sort of become the you know the wealthy aunt at the closing table you know yeah. to help uh, with a pretty substantial. Uh, investment and what it's what it's done in the market there is created two separate markets. So I'm interested in your take on this: a market for yes, you know, sort of the open market, uh, but also a growing uh, inventory of properties that are uh, deed restricted for people that live and work in the community and that fill those important roles that you're talking about. Um, that hasn't really been explored uh, in any depth in the Berkshires, uh, and I'm, I'm curious if what you think of that idea and uh, if there are others that are on the top of your list that you think would uh, would make a difference. Yeah, you know, yeah. So let's talk about that one first. Um, I, I have read about what they did in Vail. I think it's a great idea. I think um, I think that you're looking at um, off the top, off the top of my head. I hadn't really thought this through completely, but 
you know, in, in microeconomics 101, you, you know, there's a term guns versus butter. And really what it means is that there's only some, there's a finite amount of resources and you can either, you know, make guns or turn butter, but sometimes there's not enough to do everything you want to do. I think that before we take municipal resources and put them towards deed restrictions, we got some, we got a, we got a really dire, you know, Fred, Fred at the Great Barrington Affordable Housing Trust talks about how they did a study and they're, they've got a deficit of three, 400 units of need easily. And, and they're doing such a great job in Great Barrington building units, but they're not building them nearly at the, at the rate to address the need. So, you know, my first thing is great idea, but is it the best use of resources in the short term? Maybe, maybe not, but let me kind of go somewhere else here. Um, you know, last year, one of the things I'd never thought of in the whole RTE discussion was there's a bunch of people who are elderly now who own second homes, but they own second homes because they inherit them from their parents or their grandparents. And I met one woman who was a retired teacher and, uh, and she's not at all wealthy, but she's been coming out here her whole life to this house that her mom or grandpa, whatever her story is. You know, the point I'm making is that, um, that some of these, does, some of, some of these efforts like the one you just described doesn't have to be a government effort. You know, there's a lot of people of goodwill in this community, and all you got to do is ask. You know, we needed a TV at at um at at uh at Heaton Court, which is our elderly kind of a subsidized housing place in in Stockbridge, and it was like a thousand dollar upgrade. And the idea was pretty basic: it's fifty three units, fifty two are singles, and I'd rather have people watching TV together or watching a movie together than watch them alone in the room. But we didn't have any way to like fund through a grant, through a government grant, the thousand bucks for that TV for like having to do with limitations on how you can use CPC money and the rest of it. So I call somebody I know who of, of means and I pitched this this great couple on the idea and they immediately wrote a check to Heaton Court and 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 donated to that. And I think that like looking at looking at kind of you know private efforts to help whether that teacher is a young teacher who's a primary resident or a retired teacher who's a second homeowner who has been in her family for 70 years, we can help. We, we, we can, we can, we can do public private partnerships to try to help those folks. And I think a lot of people of means would step up to be part of that. And I think that, that, uh, that, that part of it is kind of encouraging along some of these ideas. So if deed restrictions are the way to go to create some housing, great. Maybe that's an effort that a that you know the equivalent of a Taconic Foundation or maybe the Taconic Foundation, who knows, you know, could take on. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't think that um, I don't think that we should, you know, limit how we think about these problems and about how, you know, kind of there's a lot of generous people and generous in so many ways, generous with their volunteer time, but also generous with their with their resources, financial or otherwise, who I think would step up if they were just asked. Okay, I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, in terms of the scale of the challenge, you know, the the you know, public-private partnerships, you know, municipal efforts, you know, obviously state and federal uh, investments in housing. You know, I think what some of these other uh, tourism-based communities have found is that the scale of the problem is is so significant that they need to make these significant investments, including. You know, through municipal dollars, which in you know, in Vale's case, part of that comes from a specific uh, sales tax addition, where they uh, yeah. they raise 
money additional, you know, a little bit of extra money, and that goes directly into uh, into their. Uh, yeah. So uh, you know, another another possibility. So on on the scale of the challenge, um, you know, describe your, your your feelings about that, and you know, sort of a timeline. You know, given the the demographics that you've talked about quite a bit, you know, how, how quickly do, do these things need to happen? One of the real pleasures of my job is all the great people, all the great, smart, informed, dedicated people I get to work with. And there's a lot of leaders, you know, at 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 everywhere from, you know, uh, from 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 Berkshire Housing to Construct to many other places. There's, you know, June Wolf uh, literally educated me as to what all these ideas are. She took the time when I was first elected to help me understand what some of these problems are because I didn't know. You know, and uh, and uh, and how zoning impacts some of what these issues are, and so many other things. But you know, we have a fantastic delegation uh, to the state house in Berkshire County, and the fact that um, that we have a new rural affairs director, you know, Smitty, you know, Smitty's our local rep, and Paul Mark is an awesome, talented, committed guy, and and don't get Smitty started on on how how powerful home ownership is for the regular guy because he'll he'll talk your ear off for an hour on that i know that everyone is committed to this and i think that 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 part of getting our leaders in in eastern massachusetts to understand the scale of the need because you know you know you know i um i, I wrote that residential inclusionary bylaw that we we uh we passed a town meeting this year and we've got a development in town that will likely either build $2 million worth of housing on site or pay a couple of million dollars or so, maybe it's a little less, a little more. We're, we're going to figure out the exact number into the housing trust. And that's great, but we're not going to build 20 of those. All right. 2 million bucks buys five or six houses, you know, and that was like a huge accomplishment, you know? So we're going to need state and federal partners in these efforts. We're going to need private individuals in these efforts. But, you know, uh, uh, I think that, that people will step up. And, and, um, I just, I just, you know, we, we got, we, now is the time people need to act though. Cause we don't have any, we don't have a lot of time to waste. It just takes so long for home rule petition. It takes so long to, uh, to clear the land and prepare it with water and sewer. So you can build, start building. It takes so long to find a parcel and acquire the parcel. These projects are years and years in the making. These efforts, not even just projects, these efforts and, and it's good that we're talking about this now because, you know, we're only going to talk so long before we have to act. You know, we, you know, the problem isn't going away. It's going to get worse. Do, do you think there's a, a structure that's that uh, that would help? You know, with there, as you described, there's lots of uh, you know nonprofits. There's um, you know affordable housing trusts in different communities. There's select boards working on this. Um, you know, in terms of you know, thinking about your municipal uh, uh, from the municipal side, you know, is there uh, uh, some structure that you need to uh, to catalyze all of these things, or if you know, for example, some communities uh, they have made their affordable housing trust sort of the the point organization on uh, on on housing plans, and they're they're focused exclusively on that. Uh, they're not working on other issues, so they're directing uh, monies into the affordable housing trust and having having those folks uh, do the planning and the uh, the advocacy. You know, is there is there any administrative uh, change or uh, or reform that would be helpful? to uh, to move things forward. I don't think we need more 
I don't think we need more bureaucracy to get this done, frankly. I think what we need is more action. And I think that bureaucracy adds, uh, uh, adds to lead time, doesn't help it. And I don't mean, and, and I say bureaucracy in terms, it, it, I'm not criticizing any, I, I, I'm in government, all right? I'm part of the bureaucracy. I'm just saying that uh, that these are not, when you when you talk them through, we've been talking for 45 minutes and, and anybody who's listening has a pretty good sense of where I'm coming from on this. And these are not hard concepts to understand. They're just hard concepts to implement. I don't think we need to talk more about them. I think we need to act. Um, having said that, there's a couple of easy things that don't cost anything that would help most of the towns in Berkshire County. Now, Stockbridge meets its 10% affordable requirement. And the only reason we do is because half the towns are owned by seasonal homeowners. And so they don't count toward the census population. If they did, we wouldn't be at 10%. So we're not taking any victory laps. At least I'm not around here. But most of the other towns don't meet that 10%. In Berkshire County, and what that means is that they 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 open themselves up to both uh, both regulatory um, scrutiny with the state and a hostile 40B, and they don't want that. So one of the things that uh, that the state could easily do is let, you know, when Lennox came to us and said we'd like you to participate in Brushwood Farms, my first question is, will we get some of the credit for the units that you're going to build there? And she goes, no, but you'd be doing a nice thing. Well, you know, state, how about you let towns like Stockbridge and Lee and Lennox and Great Barrington work together and pool the 10% so that we can figure out the best location and figure out how to finance it and build housing faster rather than then looking at the numbers and saying, we got to get our own 10%, so I can't help you, Lennox, with yours. That doesn't cost anybody anything, but it's an obvious common sense way that folks could help us, you know, move the needle a little quicker. I want to work with Lennox. I want to work with West Stockbridge. I want to work with Great Barrington. I want to work with Lee. You know, make it easier, folks. You know, and, and you and you raise what other ideas are there are. You know, um, uh, in the heat of the ADU, you know, uh, uh, discussion last year, um, geez, I'm not even sure I should say this. A local reporter said it sounded like you were blaming Tanglewood for the housing crisis. And I rolled my eyes and said, no, that's of course not the point. Thank God we have tourism in this county. My dad worked for GE and GE largely went away. And, and anything that brings jobs to this county is good. And visitors bring jobs and they bring all the all the support that comes with visitors or seasonal homeowners. It's great for the economy. But I, I know this. I live in a house that is probably doubled in price, doubled in value in the last seven or eight years, being across the street from Tanglewood. And I know as the literal and figurative epicenter of these attractions, I literally live in there, I know that it skews issues of affordability. Just because, you know, you, you don't want to drive an hour to the concert, you want to drive two minutes. Of course, it's going to impact affordability. That's not a criticism of our nonprofits who thank God they're there or our seasonal homeowners who thank God they're here. It's just a recognition that maybe we need to think through other things. Like, like for example, should we should we make it a little easier or encourage seasonal housing on campus uh, to to uh, to um, to facilitate uh, you know the impacts it has on the housing market? Otherwise, should we make it easier? Or should we encourage folks to consider, you know, when you buy a, Tangled, a ticket to Tangled online now, there's a $7.50 handling fee. 
you buy any any ticket on one of these ticket platforms that are monopolists, and it's like three, four, five bucks in the ticket handling fee. Maybe we should recognize that that uh, that visitors might want to be part of the solution too, and give them an option to donate a buck or two as they buy some of these tickets. You know, I don't think we can. We're oh, I'm quite sure that if we tried to do that through a home rule petition, it wouldn't pass. But what's the what's the what's what's the harm in asking? Because I think a lot of people recognize that um that these are issues that need creative solutions, and and I'm all for, you know, I got no problem asking. <laughs> yeah, let, let's wrap up with 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 two uh, two related questions. First, you know, it's come up in our conversation about the. Uh, you know, the housing challenges for, uh, you know, for folks who work and provide all the essential services, uh, you know, in, in Stockbridge and in Berkshire communities. And, you know, uh, all of us know it's become harder to find a contractor uh, and, um, you know, with the, uh, uh, the challenges in the, uh, you know, in that space, both the amount of work that's going on, but also uh, people, you know, uh, uh, some of the uh, contractors can't find uh, folks to work on their crews. Um, so are the facts on the ground um, changing the community conversation at all? I mean, have you noticed in recent years that the, uh, you know, what people are experiencing, uh, even though their housing value is going up and they benefit from that, you know, as they see restaurants that, you know, can't stay open all the time uh, or things that they you know, would like to be able to do are not available in the same way. Do you think that, that those changes are influencing the urgency around uh, around this issue? And I, I'd ask you to, to address that and also in the context of the uh, the convening that you have in Stockbridge coming up in a few days, <clears throat> which is uh, is on housing and, and getting some community input. We know there's a that the, that one of the post pandemic realities is that it's hard to find workers. And uh, and when you look at that, that article, uh, that study that that uh, talked about how it takes 27 bucks an hour to afford an apartment uh, in Berkshire County, including Pittsfield, uh, 27 bucks an hour is 55 grand a year. All right. Uh, uh, you know, I think that minimum wage in, in Massachusetts is $15. I think that with the crisis, most, uh, most, uh, most restaurants are maybe offering 16, 17, 18 to try to hire people or still not being successful. I was talking to my friend, Avi Maloney, uh, who owns Once Upon a Table in Stockbridge? And she was saying, Patrick, I can only sell so many steaks. You know, I mean, it's a really, it was a really great line, actually. When you think about, um, when you think about the the uh, the, um, the the challenges that we face, and uh, and and I think that uh, I think that it's in everyone's interest uh, to to ensure that there's a living wage. But you know, Bill, we I live in the world of the possible. All right. There's, there's what thou, over a thousand home rule petitions uh, filed with the legislature every year and a handful pass. All right. I, I, you know, I, I wish, I wish, uh, you know, uh, uncle Joe would keep me on speed dial, but it's not like um, folks in the federal space are reaching out to people like me. All right. We got to figure out how we move the needle locally first. And that doesn't mean we don't try to move, move the needle with the kind of, um, you know, with the, you know, larger than life figures who make kind of uh, more, uh, more macro policy decisions. But, you know, I want to make it easier. You know, one of the things Avi and I have talked about is creating a foundation where we actually, you know, in, in uh, Los Angeles and Boston right now, there's a, there's a, um, a movement toward, uh, you know, letting people add on not only just the tip for the weight, for, for the weight staff, but adding on a separate amount to uh for to be given to all the workers who are working that shift you know there's a whole there's a whole effort underway in la and and uh and boston to address 
you know, uh, to address uh, living wages that way. Yeah, so I've, you know, I've talked about trying to figure out how we encourage that kind of um, make it easy. Give them the sticker. Give them the forms. Give them, uh, give it, make it easy for for a restaurant owner or someone else in the in the sort of um, you know that kind of space to actually adopt a program like that and benefit and promote a program like that, as well as account for a program like that, you know, sort of putting my like kind of a financial hat on and her restaurant, her hat on. So there's a lot of interesting conversations going on in the county right now around how we do what seems to be working in other parts of the country. I hope that's you know, helpful. Is that the, uh, the convening that you're having? Is there a, an agenda or you know, particular ideas that you want to discuss? With I don't want to... I think the convening, what we want to do is let people understand what what the landscape looks like. We're going to talk a lot about demographics and, and you know, I don't want to try to sell people on what the ideas are I've talked about today. I've got my opinions. People, they're, they're well known. Some people like them. A couple of people really don't. And, uh, and, uh, and I don't, but this, the purpose of the convening is not to sell people on any one solution. It's to identify what the problem is brainstorm on what some 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 trade-offs and options are we're not going to be able to do 12 things we got to pick one or two or three strategies and do them right and it's the prioritization of those strategies which i think should inform this discussion over the next couple of months but monday's monday's uh monday is step one of two convenings actually and we're really just trying to paint a picture of what we face and when when's the second convening has it been scheduled i think it's supposed to be in the fall well, great. Well, Patrick, uh, thanks very much for uh, uh, for uh, for the conversation, and uh, uh, appreciate it very much. All right. That was Patrick White, a member of the Board of Selectmen in Stockbridge, Massachusetts, and this has been a podcast of the Berkshire Argus. Find more at berkshireargus.com. This is Bill Shine. Mm-hmm.